All right, let's pray. <clears throat> then we're going to move in this direction, okay? Everyone has a sheet, right? Everyone's got one? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. How to pray that you would use an imperfect messenger and imperfect hearers, even weak messenger, God, and weak hearers. But God, let us, let us get a glimpse of your glory from your word. Let us get a, a taste, Lord, of the weight of what you've called us into, what you've called us to be as a light in this world. Help us to see. And God, I pray that in the midst of all the weakness of communication, God, that you would speak to our hearts and souls, God, and you would use us for your glory. God, we believe in you to do that, Lord. We trust in you that you would do that, that as, as we read your word, we apply it to our lives, God, that you would move us, that you would drive us, God. We want to be your servants, God. Whatever you command us, we'll do, and wherever you send us, we'll go. Lord, you said if we turned at your rebuke, that you would, you would pour out your Spirit on us and make your words known to us. And so, God, we want to come to you now ready to turn, ready to move at your rebuke, ready to move at, at, at your very, just even just catching a desire of your heart, God, we're ready to move. God, like those, like those mighty men that just saw the desire of their king's heart for a drink of water and they went and risked their lives for it. God, we come to you in the same way. Let us just see the desire of your heart, Lord. Let us, let us catch who you are and what you long for, God, what you want. Help us to see. And I pray, God, that you move us. Love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So the title at the top of your study guide says specific needs. That's what we're looking at today, some specific needs that demand our compassion and sacrificial service toward the world. We're coming out of Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. That title makes sense if you were here last week. If you weren't here last week, it probably still makes sense, but not as much as if you were here last week. Because we're pretty much doing like a part two, okay? So today's going to be unique. Today's uh, going to be a little bit different than what we normally do. Now, now next week, we're going to jump right back into what we normally do uh, walking through books of the Bible um, expositionally. And we're actually going to move into 1 John. Y'all excited about that? 1 John? Uh, I had a meeting with some guys. Uh, we'd already planned on going into 1 John, but Nick Stafford didn't know that. I don't think he's in here, so I can talk about him. He, uh, but he, <laughs> but he, uh, we had this meeting with a group of guys, and he said, man, next time y'all pick a book we go to, can we go through 1 John? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so he thinks it's just because of him. So y'all, y'all, uh, y'all don't tell him any different. All right. Um, now, anyway, so we're going through First John, but but right now this is going to be kind of a unique time today. We're going to add on to what we looked up looked at last week in Luke chapter ten. Uh, let me give kind of a quick review. Let's read these verses, verse twenty five through thirty seven, and then let me give a review of what we're going through. Okay, verse twenty five. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What's your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You answered rightly, Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. 
So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Alright, so quick review here. We looked at two major things uh, last week on this. That the biggest... Uh, the biggest thing that you're the, the, mo, the most major thing you need to see from this story, from this interaction with Jesus and this lawyer is a gospel conversation. He's coming to Jesus saying, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus is going to lay out the standard for him. This man thinks he can earn eternal life. So Jesus is going to lift the standard up really high. And so he agrees to the summary of the law. Jesus pretty much says, yeah, go ahead, fulfill the law. You know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And if you can fulfill that perfectly, you got eternal life. And obviously the point was, is he could not fulfill it perfectly. Neither can any of us. And what this reveals to us is we need a Savior. Now whether or not the lawyer saw that through Jesus' prying into it, we don't necessarily know. But we know this was a gospel conversation. Jesus leading him in to see his need for redemption, his need for salvation, his need for forgiveness by putting the law before him. Okay. Now, second thing we looked at, that was major. And the second thing we looked at was this, is that Jesus gives an illustration in the story of the Good Samaritan. It's not a, he doesn't tell you a real event that happened. But he tells you a story, the story of the Good Samaritan and this man that was beaten and broken and half dead on the side of the road and how two people just passed by him, even though they saw him and how one person looked on with compassion and helped him. And Jesus uses that story to teach us what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. The second greatest commandment is huge. Jesus says the second greatest commandment is like the first, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And then the man says, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus explains and he gives this this parable, this story to give us a description, an illustration of what it looks like to love your neighbors yourself. And in that we see the man's heart of compassion. We saw it say it said that he had compassion. So this is not just the Samaritan did this. No, he had love in his soul. He had a heart of compassion. That's necessary. But then we also see flowing out of a heart of compassion. We see his sacrificial service toward this broken and half dead Man. And so we learn that from this story. And we also learn from this story that, that, that we need to beware of having some uh, religious things about us. That we are, we are uh, quote unquote religious people. We do religious stuff. And yet that heart of compassion, that love your neighbors yourself, the weightier matter, we don't do. And that's a warning from this passage. It's what the priest and the Levite did, Right? It's a lot like in Matthew 23, 23, when Jesus, when he looks at those Pharisees and he says, listen, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. You do that, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and the love of God and mercy and faith. You miss these things. And so he goes after showing them that. I think we see the same thing in this prayer. We see religious men, a priest and a Levite who pass by and they don't live out. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we looked at that, the heart of compassion and the sacrificial service. And so what I want to put before you today, mainly, is specific needs in this world that demand our compassion and our sacrificial service. Okay, I want to do I want to put before us today sort of like what Jesus did right here. This man in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. What did Jesus do? He put a man before us who was half dead. He put a man before us who had suffered injustice. Think about it. He was beaten and they took his stuff and left there half dead in a pool of his own blood. He put before us a man who was suffering, a man who was in pain, a man who was in agony, a man who had a need. And so I want to do the same. I want to put issues and needs of this world before us today. That's the main thing I want us to go after. My hope is that our hearts would be stirred up to love and good works. That's one of the reasons we come together, right? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. But instead it tells what to stir one another up to love 
and the good works. And I'm praying, I've been praying that we would be stirred up to love and good works as we look at these things today. Here's some of the issues that I'm going to try to put before you. You can see them at the bottom of your sheet. We're not going there yet. But here's some of the issues I want to put before you. I want to put before you abortion. Abortion. These are needy children. Needy children. Like that broken half-dead man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Needy children being taken away to destruction. I'm going to talk to you about human trafficking. About domestic abuse. Poverty. Orphans. The sick. Substance abuse. All over our prisons. Things like this. I want to talk to you about these needs. Now we're, we're not going to make it to all of these. But in a lot of ways today, I want to set a few things before you. And more than most times, I always want you to be a Berean. I always want you to be like the Bereans. Acts 17, 11, They searched the scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was true. Don't ever just take my word. But even more so than normal today, I want to set these issues before you so that you yourself can go home and get in a secret place on your face with an open Bible and say, God, what do I do about this? What do I do about this? Okay? So this is what we're going after today. So as we look at these issues, I want you to examine your heart. I want you to ask yourself how you should respond. Ask God, God, how should I respond to these sort of things? Okay. Now, so I've told you some of those issues, but before we dig into those issues, let's look at a few more things that we can glean from this passage of Scripture. Okay. It's going to lead into these issues. What are some things that we can that we can gather from this passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. I think this is huge because because you know this. The second greatest commandment is of massive importance, right? I mean, it's the second greatest. It's very, very important. And it's all over the Bible. And this place of Scripture is unique in that it shows us how to live it out. It's an illustration like this is the... is the. Let me make a movie about how to live out the second greatest commandment. And this is what Jesus does right here. And we get this. This is unique. So this is extremely important. Now here's some bullet points that we can learn from this passage. First bullet point is this. It's on your sheet there. Obedience to the second greatest commandment shines the brightest towards the suffering and the needy of this world. Here's what I mean by that. In Luke 10.30, when Jesus begins this illustration of how to live out the second greatest commandment, He could have given any illustration He wanted to. I mean, he's speaking off the cuff here. He could have said whatever he wanted to say. And yet what he puts before us is suffering and a suffering and needy and a, a person who is in need and agony. That's what he puts before us to show us the illustration. OK, so I think living out the second greatest commandment shines the brightest towards the suffering and the needy of this world. I think you see that in other places of Scripture. Luke chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Listen to this. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I think, again, you see something similar in this passage, right? That this push of that this love your neighbors yourself is going to shine the brightest towards the suffering and the needy of this world. Now, obviously, that passage means does not mean what we just read in Luke 14. It doesn't mean stop having your friends over. Stop being hospitable to your friends in the church. It doesn't mean that. But there is some kind of push towards the needy and the hurting and the suffering of this world. And I'm telling you, this commandment, love your neighbors yourself, it shines the brightest in that scenario. We see in 1 John 3, 16 and 17, it says this is how you know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And then when He gives you the expression of that in verse 17, He, tells you, he talks to you about someone that has need in this world. Need in this world. And you meet their needs with the goods that you have. Okay? So that's why today what I'm going to set before you as, hey, let's go after it. Church of Jesus Christ, let's live out the second greatest commandment. I'm going to set before you things that involve suffering and injustice and needs in this world. I think that's where obedience to it shines the brightest. Second bullet point is this. Obedience to the second greatest commandment is not mainly lived out in a distant and corporate way, but rather in an up close and personal way. And here's what I mean by that. Again, Jesus could have given any example of how to live out the second greatest commandment. 
Any example. Gather up all your stuff. Send it across the world to some poor people across the world. He could have given any example. And those would have been good. What I just said would have been good. But the example he gives is not far away and distant. Love your neighbors yourself. It's very up close and personal. I mean, this man, he gives an example of somebody looking a suffering one right in the eye, putting his hand, putting oil and wine on his body that's bleeding. Okay, this is up close and personal. Jesus could have picked any location, but what location does he pick in his illustration? He said it was a road. It goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you read the context of Luke, they, were, they had to be close to this road. Jesus literally, he doesn't say over there the other side of the world. Jesus literally could have took this lawyer and he could have pointed to that road and said, that road right there. You know the bad part of town? Where it's known, because it was known in this place that people would be robbed there. That people would be hurt and injured and violent attacks would happen on people. And so Jesus doesn't go to some location far off for His illustration, but He gives an illustration right there, the bad part of town. You know that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so this can be, He wants this guy to see the illustration of love your neighbors yourself is very up close and personal. This is not just a distant thing, okay? So, so... If you obey the command, love your neighbor as yourself. I believe it's going to bring you uncomfortably, but gloriously close and personal to the suffering and the needy of this world. Okay? Third bullet point we can get from this passage. Obedience to the second greatest commandment is not always pretty and clean, but is often ugly and dirty. Jesus is going to give a visual of love your neighbors yourself. And He doesn't give a visual of you playing Monopoly with your besties. He gives a visual of dirty, nasty, dangerous, ugly love to a man that He doesn't even know. You see that? The illustration of love your neighbor as yourself can be... It was a dangerous illustration. It was a dirty illustration. This is a lot like Christ, right? Christ did this. Christ entered into this world in His dirty, this perfect Savior, perfect sinless Savior, enters into this dirty, sinful, dark world and takes our dirt of our sin onto Himself and dies in the place of sinners like me and you, rises from the grave. He did this and we're called to extend out this kind of ugly, dirty love toward a lost and broken world. This is living out the second greatest commandment. Next bullet point. Obedience to the second greatest, greatest commandment will take heart. It will take heart. Verse 33, right there you see it. It says, And when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. It's a heart issue. Okay? It's a heart issue. When we think about love your neighbors yourself, it's not just what you do and the sacrifices that you make, but we're talking about compassion. We're talking about love. Do you, you, as you see God's heart on certain issues among the needy and the suffering of this world, as you see God's heart and you realize your heart does not line up with God's heart, what do you do? What do you do? You repent. And you say, oh God, change my heart. God, make my heart like your heart. Because obedience to the second greatest commandment involves heart. Next bullet point. Obedience to the second greatest commandment will take sacrifice. It means it's going to cost you something. We talked about this a lot last week. It will take sacrifice. The act of love that this, this Samaritan made, it cost him a lot. It cost him his safety. It cost him his comfort. It cost him his time. It cost him his money. And it probably cost him his reputation. But it cost him. He had to make sacrifices as he moved with compassion in his heart for this suffering man. And this is living out the second greatest commandment. Last bullet point. Obedience, obedience to the second greatest commandment is a go and do work of love. Not a sit back and wait type labor. It's not sit back and wait. It's go and do. Look at verse 37. And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, last words of Christ in this section, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. How many people say I'm willing? We look at the needs and the suffering of the world. And how many people say I'm willing, 
But then they sit back and wait and they never take action. They never move. They never go and do. Well, this is a go and do command. I think we need to, we have, this is a mistake I believe gets made often in this culture. Is that we judge our adherence, our obedience to the second greatest commandment by what we don't do. Well, I don't hurt anybody. I don't do anybody wrong. And if something comes across my way, I'll help. And so we judge our obedience to the second greatest commandment by what we do not do. But listen, the priest and the Levite in that section, what did they do? They didn't actively do anything wrong. They did not harm that man. They did not uh, uh, beat him. They did not, they didn't, did not do anything to make him get into the suffering that he's in. They didn't do anything. But that's the point. They didn't do anything in reaching out to help this man. So what I'm trying to get across to you is that obedience to the second greatest commandment is a go and do likewise, not a sit back and wait. So I want us to be encouraged with that. And I want us to be encouraged in all these things as we open up these issues that we're about to talk about, these needs of the world that we're about to talk about, okay? Now, so we're about to move into these issues, these needs. Uh, before we do it, let me give you a quick testimony. Uh, for the last several weeks, I've asked God, I said, I said Lord, because I, I felt it, and maybe you were with me on this, okay? That there's some of these issues, some of these needs of the world that I see, and man, my heart has been gripped for these things. And yet there's some of these that I see biblically my heart ought to be gripped, and yet it's not. Okay? And so I've spent the last few weeks saying, God, God, open my heart. God, help me to see. Uh, give me your heart on every one of these needs of the world. Give it to me, Lord. I want to feel what you feel. Okay? I've asked God for that. And i got a long way to go. A long way to go. But I'm telling you, God has worked on me heavily the last couple of weeks on these things. I remember looking at Lydia at one point and saying, I feel like I've done nothing but cry for the last week looking at these issues. And, I'm, and then I said, and I hope I got it all out before Sunday. So hopefully as we talk about these things, I've gotten all the tears out. It's been done. And now we can just talk about these issues, okay? If, if you're in a similar place, look, if you look at all these or any of these, and you think, man, I don't feel like my heart's been gripped like it ought to be. Don't you believe you can ask God for that and He'll do it? Don't you believe you can say, God, give me your heart on this issue. Give me your compassion that you have. Please, God, conform me into the image of your son. Don't you believe he'll do that? And I want you to. Because I believe he will. I believe as we go to him and we confess our apathy, confess our sin, and we ask him to conform us into his image, I believe that he'll do it. Now, on your study guide there, there's six questions. I'm not going to read them. But again, like I said, this teaching more than most is for you to go home with. I encourage you to take each one of these issues that I'm going to very briefly put before you. And I want you to go by yourself in a secret place with an open Bible. With verses and statistics, whatever you do, however you do it. I want you to get by yourself and I encourage you to ask yourself these six questions with each one of these, of these issues here, okay? Now... As we move into these issues, don't forget this. The deepest root of what we're going after is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. We're not looking just to be a church that just meets all the issues, but a church that meets the world with the love of Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love your neighbor as yourself sounds something like this. To, these, to abortion, it sounds like this. Love your unborn neighbor as yourself. Or to the sex trafficking of the world, human trafficking of the world. It's love the abused and the used and the trafficked men and women of this world as yourself. It's love the poor, your poor neighbors. Love them as yourself. Love the neglected orphans as yourself. Love the sick and the suffering and the addicted. Love them as yourself. This is the deepest root of what we're going after towards the suffering of this world. Alright, we ready for these issues? Again, I just want to put them before you. Just like Jesus put that man before you that, that was suffering injustice. I just want to put some of these before you. And the first one I want to put before you today is abortion. As, as we look at this issue, okay, or as I put this issue before you, let, let me say this first. I'll go into a little more detail on this one than I will the rest. Maybe even a lot more detail on this one than the rest. Okay? We'll spend a little more time here. Let me tell you why. Because I feel like out of all these issues, this tends to be the one that's the least favorable. 
This tends to be the one that, that, that seems to be in some ways neglected. So that's one reason that I want to go after this. And, and I believe I was listening to, to, to uh, David Platt. Um, he was speaking in some sort of conference over the social justices and social issues of our day. And he mentioned that this thing, I think the way he said it is this is the least sexy of all the issues. That's the way he said it. Okay. And what he was getting at, he was trying to get down to the answer of why. Why is that? And he was pretty much laying a rebuke on me and, and all, I guess all of uh, the Christianity of our day. He was laying out a rebuke and saying, here's probably the reason. Because in this issue, you come into most conflict with the world. It's the least popular one. You come alongside, you want to alleviate poverty and you ought to, man, you ought to want to do that. The world might even come alongside you in some ways. But you want to, you want to come against this injustice of abortion, the world will not come alongside you in this. And so it's the least popular. So in some ways, that's why I want to dig into this one a little bit more. So let me ask the first question. When it comes to abortion, do you see? And here's what I mean by see. First question, do you see? When you read the Good Samaritan story, it says the priest saw... The Levites saw, and then it says the Samaritans saw. They all saw the suffering and the injustice that went down. Do you see the injustice and the suffering created by abortion? Do you see who the needy are in this realm? Do you see the innocent child being taken away to the slaughter? Do you see... Mothers being comforted in their sin by this false rhetoric coming from pro-choice movements. Do you see the insanity of this? Of abortion? Do you see the injustice? Do you see the shedding of innocent blood? And what I want to do is I want to help you see. I want to help you get it. I want to help you actually see what's going on in our world with this issue. Here's, let me give you the Bible first. Psalm 139 verse 13 says this. Speaking to God. You formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes, this verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were written the days fashioned for me when as yet they were none of them. Do you hear this humanity given to the baby in the womb right there? You, God, knit me. This person, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And while I was knit together in my mother's womb, there's books with all the days fast from me already written out. Do you hear the humanity given to the child here? The most central issue when it comes to abortion is that the baby in the womb, hear me out, the most central issue, the baby in the womb from conception is a real, living, human person. That is of equal value to the person who is outside the womb. The person, the real living person inside the womb is of equal value to the person who is outside the womb. Therefore, what's happening all across our nation is the innocent blood of children is being shed legally. Again and again and day after day. Let me give you another Bible verse. Exodus 21 verse 22. Listen to this. I want you to see that the, the life in the womb is equal to life outside the womb. Listen. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. Two men are fighting. They run into or hurt something. This lady who has a baby in her womb. And because of this trauma, the baby is born prematurely. The baby comes into this world. He says, if no harm follows, if no harm follows in the life of this baby, no harm follows, then, then whatever the husband imposes, what he must pay. But what if harm does follow to the baby? What happens? It says, but if any harm follows, then you shall give, listen, life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. Now, obviously, this is, a, this is a, a law laid out for the government of that time. But here's what you can see. Here's what you can see. Here's what you need to understand. That if they do something to the baby in the womb, and this baby dies, he says you shall give life for life. And what that means is that the life inside the womb is of equal value to the grown man outside the womb. To kill the baby in the womb is no different than to kill the man who is outside the womb. And so think about the way this lays heavy. That if that's a person in the womb. Think of the heaviness. The heaviness that that lays on this issue. 
Think about it. This means that to know that there's an abortion place, an abortion business in your neighborhood. It's no different. It's of equal value than, than if you found out that there were women being dragged into a house again and again and again and day after day against her will and they were being executed in that home. Because the life outside the womb is equal to life inside the womb. Now we see this humanity be get, being given to the baby in the womb all throughout the Bible. You got, I've got, I put your verses there. I'm not going to read all these for Tom's sake. But I put verses there on your study guide. But you see things like the children struggle together in the mother's womb. You see things like two nations are in your womb. Humanity is given. It's attributed to the baby in the womb. You see a baby being filled with the Spirit from the womb. You see in Luke 1. A baby leaping with joy in the womb. These, these personal, person, human-like attributes attributed to the baby in the womb. It's not a blob of tissue, as the pro-choice rhetoric goes, but rather it's a person. And listen to this, the same Greek word that Luke uses in Luke chapter 1 to speak about that baby in the womb, it's the exact same Greek word that's used in Luke 18, 15, when it speaks about the babies that were brought to Jesus for Jesus to pray for them and bless the life inside the womb is equal to life outside the womb. So in abortion, you have to ask yourself a question. When is it okay to kill life? When is it okay to kill a baby? Is it okay at six months? No, nobody would say that. Is it okay at one month? No, nobody would say that. It's not okay to kill a one-month-old child. What about, what about one hour after they are born into this world? Is it okay? No, what, after, what about right after they take their first breath? And what about just before they take their first breath? Is it okay to kill that child? No. What about two hours earlier when the child is in the womb? What about a month earlier? What about two months earlier? Is it ever okay to kill the child that's in the womb? And here's why I'm telling you this. Because I want the, I want the weight to fall on us all. Of what's happening in and out every day in abortion places all across America and even in our own cities. I want you to feel the weight of what's happening. I want you to see this is not just a political issue. This is not just an issue that you can politely ignore. But this is an issue that you must be full of compassion and sacrificial service toward. Many people call this the Holocaust of our day. Do you feel the weight of it? Because I want you to. Now there are I believe there's satanic tactics to try to keep us from feeling the weight of it, to try to soften the severity of this situation. I think there's satanic tactics. For example, rhetoric, okay? You can read on these websites, okay? Even on the one in Jackson, Mississippi, you can read on the website, and here's what it calls it. It says, termination of pregnancy. You hear that rhetoric? Now, doesn't that sound a whole lot better than termination of a baby? When you say termination of pregnancy... Now, the only problem is, that's false rhetoric. Listen to Job 10.18. Job 10.18, he says, Why did you bring me from out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me. So here he is mourning, and he speaks about himself in the womb. And isn't it funny that he does not say, Oh, that the pregnancy had been terminated. He doesn't say that. He acknowledges that for the baby to lose his life in the womb is death. Would that I had died. Death happens in the womb to a real living person. But to believe, listen, but to be okay with abortion, you have to be okay with that rhetoric. And you have to ignore God, ignore His Word as I've already shown you. And you have to ignore sound science. You have to ignore it to be okay with abortion. Let me give you some examples. From conception, the child in the womb, it has its own genetic code. Its own DNA distinct from its mom. Ultrasound imaging. It shows legitimate human form in the womb. It's not a blob of tissue as they tell so many ladies that go in there in Jackson, Mississippi. But it's a highly complex yet young and small human. Three weeks after conception, his heart is beating and pumping blood through his little body. At six weeks, brain waves are traceable. This means almost every surgical abortion stops a heart and stops a functioning brain, right? 
At eight weeks, arms, legs, hands, and feet are well developed. You can, you can rec- these are recognizable in aborted babies, as has been shown recently in all these videos that came out, right? Their fingerprints are beginning to form. The baby can respond to sound. At 11 weeks, all internal organs are present and functioning. This baby will actually recoil at pain. They're finding out as you go in, they want to draw blood from this baby in the womb. That it will literally draw back. Because his nervous system is sending processes to his brain that that hurts. By the end of the first trimester, the baby kicks, spins, somersaults, grasps with his hands, and makes facial expressions. And according to Proverbs chapter 6, God hates the the shedding of innocent blood. He hates it. He hates it. And we're called in Psalm 97 verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. You who love the Lord hate evil. And so very quickly, here's what's going on in our culture. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 50, some say 58, it's over 50 million. You can't fathom that number. 50 million babies aborted. Maybe to get it on a level we can understand a little bit. 3,000 children Aborted daily in America. It's about two a minute. 3,000 children. And let's get even more up close and personal. That's what the, the story of the Good Samaritan does that, right? He makes us get real up close and personal. Jesus doesn't say over there in China somewhere. He says right there, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets them really up close and personal. So let's do that for just a moment. Right here in Jackson, Mississippi, there's an abortion place called Jackson Women's Health Organization. It's also known as the Pink House in Fondren. This place does about 2,200 abortions every year. About 50 children taken in those doors and not taken out every week. It's the greatest injustice of our day is happening right there. Greatest injustice of our day. I see at this place the poorest and the neediest people. I see it there. I see the poorest and the neediest and the greatest injustice happening in that place every single week. And the most anti, openly anti-God people, and I mainly mean in the workers that are there, that need the love of Christ, that need the gospel of Jesus, that they think they heard, but most of the time they don't know it, they haven't heard the gospel of Christ, but the most anti, openly anti-God people I've ever met right there at that place. So listen, I don't, I don't have all the answers about what we should do about this particular injustice. But I want to continue through those six questions with you just for a moment. So just go there with me, okay? Second question. We already answered the first question. Do you see? So let me ask you now. Do you see? you see? Second question is this. Who do you resemble in the Good Samaritan story? As it relates to your unborn neighbor, who do you resemble? The religious folks who turned a blind eye and passed by on the other side, or do you resemble that good Samaritan who was full of compassion and made sacrifice to do something about it? Next question. And let this, let this be self-examination time. How is your heart of compassion towards these babies in need? How is your heart of compassion towards these people in need? Where's your compassion? Do you hate what God hates? Do you have compassion where God has compassion? Is it there? Let me ask you the next question. What does sacrificial service look like towards these who are in need? Listen, it's going to take sacrifice in this, right? As we prayerfully enter into this sort of ministry and we ask God, God, bring us, open the door for us to help people in this. You realize you're really going to have to be able to help, right? You need to bring them more than words. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need the truth of God's word. But they need more than your words as well. You realize that? Some of these people in certain financial situations need you to come alongside them and help them. Or if, you, if you're willing to tell them they could adopt that baby, will you take it? What about sacrificial service there? Let me read a verse to you. Proverbs chapter 24. Listen, this is going to take sacrifice if you step out into this. Proverbs chapter 24, listen to verse 11. (coughs) Deliver those who are drawn toward death. You see the application? Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. 
If you say, surely we did not know this, does not who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? Will he not render to each man according to his deeds? See, Ephesians 5.11 says, don't have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. What about this work of exposing them? What about this work of delivering those who are drawn towards death? Those who are spiritually moving towards eternal death. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. These children that are being drawn towards physical death, they need delivering, they need rescuing. Look at, flip over a couple pages. Proverbs chapter 31. What about the sacrifice that this might take? Verse 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the speechless. You see the connection? Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth. Judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Now like I said earlier, now I want to encourage you to apply these verses. That you go home and get by yourself in a secret place. And you say, God, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? And I want to encourage you that the reason I give a little more detail. Because we're about to move on. But the reason why I give a little more detail into this specific one. Is just what I said earlier. This tends to be the one. This scene is the less popular. The less attractive. And David Platt, when he said that. This is a quote that he quoted. And I want to share it with you. A quote that he quoted from that sermon. He says... If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace to him if he flinches. At that one point. Listen. The next question on that list. Is the gospel. How does the powerful gospel speak into this? What do you think? You have the gospel of Jesus. I'm not calling you to be. You know, just to be mere protesters. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how does the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak into this issue? i tell you how. It has power to save. Power to save abortion activists, abortion doctors, those who get abortion. The gospel has power to save them. Isaiah 53 verse 5 and 6 says he was wounded for our transgressions. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all, even murder. Listen, maybe there's somebody here and I want to speak in this way. And maybe you had an abortion in the past. Maybe you've done that. And maybe you've turned to the living God. You've turned to Christ. You've turned away from that. I'm not trying to bring guilt back up in your life. In fact, I want you to hear this. Listen to the verse again. The Lord has laid on Him, Jesus Christ, even abortion, even murder. He has laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. And you get to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people that need it most. The powerful gospel applies to this issue. Is there any hope? Is there any hope that we can make a difference on this issue? Listen to the promise. John 7, 38. He says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You believe it or do you not? Can we have an impact on this issue? He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I believe it. Let me tell you a quick encouraging story and then, then we'll move on. We're at the abortion place. We're there on the sidewalk praying. And anybody that would be willing to talk to us, we calmly, graciously aim to counsel them, to love them, talk to them, share the gospel with them. A guy and girl pull up there. They pull up at this place. They pull up into the parking lot. The parking lot's so full because they're packing so many people in there that they can't park. They have to park down the street somewhere. So the boyfriend is getting ready. The boyfriend is getting ready to drop off this girlfriend. And I just happened to be able to see her. And she's sitting in there shaking her head. And she's going, I just don't know about this. I don't know that we should do this. And she's shaking her head. And of course, my heart sinks. My heart drops and I see her do that. And so I begin to call and say, ma'am, that is your God-given conscience. That is your God-given conscience telling you don't do this. Listen, we want to help you. Would you just give me a moment to talk with you? Would you just give me a moment to talk with you? And she walks straight in. She just walks right into the abortion place. 
boyfriend has to go park down the road somewhere. He goes, he parks down the road, and, and, and uh, I believe it was Hunter and Clay that day were there. I believe it was their first time there, which by the way is a good... This has nothing to do with man. This has nothing to do with man's experience. These weren't experienced men. It's their first time there, I believe. And Hunter and Clay are there, and they walk down the street to go talk to this man, this boyfriend. And they begin to very graciously and lovingly share the gospel with this man. They talk with him about what God's Word says, about what happens in that building, what happens with abortion. It seems like with this man, and glory to God, it seems like the truth begins to sit heavy on this man. It's almost like the truth is actually making contact. He doesn't keep walking. He stops. He talks with him for a time. And eventually he goes in there and he gets his girlfriend, who I don't imagine put up much of a fight, and he gets her out of there. Glory to God. Glory to God, right? Glory to God. I've been encouraged by what God has been doing in our church on this issue, and I just pray that God would do more and more and more. And just to give you a heads up, on that resource table I told you about, in that basket, there are some little bags back there that some of the girls in our church got together and made these bags that are gifts to give to those ladies who are considering getting an abortion. Okay? It has a letter uh, from a girl in our church on there. This, this shares the gospel with them, talks about the things the Lord offers help, phone number, emails, all those kind of things. Anybody's welcome to grab those if you'd be willing to take them to one of these ladies. Okay, uh, let's move on to some of these other issues much, much more quickly. Okay, let's talk about orphan care. Orphan care. Do you see? Are your eyes open? Okay, do you see? I'm going to read a verse to you. Do you see the need? Do you see the issue? James chapter 1. Now I gave you several verses there on your study guide. I encourage you to, to get by yourself in a secret place with an open Bible and say, God, let me see your heart for the orphan. James 1.27 pure, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You see God's heart now? He says pure and undefiled. The real, he's saying the real thing. The real pure and undefiled religion is to visit, is to care for orphans and widows in their trouble. So I think this is something on the heart of God. You even have some places in Proverbs. I got the verse there actually. Where it says don't mess with the boundaries of the orphan. Because I'll come to his defense. <laughs> in other words, don't mess with that orphan. Don't you mess with the fathers. You mess with the fathers. I'm coming against you. You see, the God, you see God's heart for that? And I want you, I want to encourage you in God's heart for that. And literally, guys, there are millions. I know most of us, many of us in here know this. There are millions, millions of fatherless, of orphans all over this world. But just for being able to deal with the numbers, let's talk local statistics for just a minute. In Mississippi right now, there are 5,100 kids who are in the foster care system. Which two years ago, there were 3,800 kids. Now there's 5,100 kids. 800 new families. 800 new families are needed to care for these kids. And get this. 100 kids are legally available for adoption right now. And my plan is, is we have 100, about 130 members in this church. <laughs> I think we can wipe out the number. Seriously, think about it though. Hundreds of churches. Hundreds of churches all around this area. Hundred kids in Mississippi legally ready for adoption. Uh, what a glory to God. What about that headline? The church in Mississippi wipes out the number of abortions in Mississippi. What could God do? I hope that stirs your soul. Let's ask these questions. Do you resemble the what who do you resemble in the Good Samaritan story? Do you resemble those who are religious? They have religious things they do, but they pass by? Or do you resemble that good Samaritan move with compassion and ready to make a sacrifice. I challenge you to do something. So I ask you that. So where, where is your compassion? Where is your, you see God's heart? We just read one verse, but, but if you read them, you see God's heart for the orphan. Where is your heart? Where is your heart of compassion? Let me challenge you to do something very, very dangerous. I dare you. I dare you to ask God, begin to plead with God to give you His heart in this issue. I dare you to fast and pray for the orphan and say, God, just give me your heart in this issue, Lord. I see your heart for it. I don't know if mine's in the right place. Give me your heart. I dare you to do that. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. 
What will sacrificial service look like in this, these issues? What does the gospel say about it? How does the gospel, the, how does the gospel speak into adoption? How does it speak into the orphans? It's huge, right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Listen. In love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That's what we are. Sinners who through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross have been adopted into His kingdom. Adoptions at the heart of the gospel. Not to mention these 100 kids and millions of kids all over the world. They need more than a home and a family. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And you have it. You have the gospel. Is there any hope that we can make an impact in this area? And I just say yes and amen. I encourage everybody in here to be encouraged by what God has been doing in our church through, for example, the Morans, the Nicholsons, the Pools, the Berries. Anybody else considering? Anybody else that I've forgotten that God is doing a work? Do you see that? And the adoption of these orphans. Is Elias over there? You hold Elias up? Do you see Elias? That, you think that cost them sacrifice? Reese, you regret it? <laughs> if you can't see him, he's shaking his head. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Should have done that. I can't look at that kid about crying. <laughs> Stop holding him up now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right, we run out of time here, but let me give you just a couple more of these issues. Uh, uh, human trafficking. Y'all, I encourage you to look into the issues. As you think about um, living out, love your neighbors yourself. It's the Bible verse. Love your neighbors yourself. The illustration is put before you of the Good Samaritan. As you think about living that out, I want you to think about human trafficking, okay? And you look into it on your own, dig into it on your own. Some of the facts and realities seem so evil that it almost feels inappropriate to say it in front of you, okay? But I encourage you to look into it. And, and just to kind of save some time, and also to keep me from saying anything inappropriate, I just want to read something to you from David Platt. This is a, it's going to be a little bit longer of a quote. So zone in. It's hard when a quote's longer. Zone in. Listen to what he says about some of these statistics of human trafficking. Over 27 million people live in slavery today. He, by slavery, he's referring to human trafficking. There's more than any other time in history. There are more slaves today than were seized from Africa in four centuries of the transatlantic slave trade. Many of these millions are bought and sold and exploited for sex in what has become one of the fastest growing industries on earth. Sex trafficking is a multi-billion dollar industry worldwide. A human trafficker can earn 20 times what he or she paid for a girl. Provided the girl was not physically brutalized to the point of ruining her beauty, the pimp could sell her again for a greater price because he had trained her and broken her spirit, which saves future buyers the hassle. One study in the Netherlands found that on average, a single sex slave earned her pimp at least $250,000 a year. Sex traffickers use a variety of ways to condition, condition their victims, including subjecting them to starvation, Rape, gang rape, physical abuse, beating, confinement, threats of violence toward the victim and the victim's family, forced drug use and shame. These victims suffer devastating physical and psychological harm. However, due to language barriers, lack of knowledge about available services and the frequency with which traffickers move victims, human trafficking victims and their perpetrators are difficult to catch. Human trafficking is one of the fastest growing criminal enterprises because it holds relatively low risk with high profit potential. Criminal organizations are increasingly attracted to human trafficking because unlike drugs, humans can be sold repeatedly. I encourage you, there's a sermon by, also by David Platt. He's had a big impact on many things, you can't tell. It's called, I've got it on your sheet there, it's called The Power of the Gospel to End Human Trafficking. I encourage you to listen to that, especially if you feel like your heart is numb toward this issue. 
And in case you feel like this is only something that's very, very far away, let me tell you this. Just this past week as I studied this, three people in Biloxi, Mississippi were arrested for trafficking a young juvenile girl. They're from Mobile, Alabama and through Mississippi. Can you imagine that? Knowing that your daughter has been stolen away. You don't know where she's at. She's being beaten and forced drugs so that she can be sold in commercial prostitution. Can you imagine the weight of that? Also, to bring it near to us, Governor, uh, Governor Phil Brown just recently put together a task force. I say recently, it's been a little while, but, but recently to me. A task force on human trafficking in Mississippi. And one of the articles says this. This is one of the quotes from the articles on that issue. A team found 90 children who had been victims of domestic minor sex trafficking in Hines, Rankin, Madison, and Warren counties, an area of the state known as a hub for sex trafficking in the South. I don't have time to dig deeper into domestic abuse and other things, but let me read this to you. Can the gospel speak to that? Listen to Luke chapter 4. Verse 18, Jesus steps up. He's got the book in his hand. Jesus Christ steps up at the beginning of his ministry. And he says this in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Yes and amen, the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to those who are captive and enslaved. It speaks to them. One more, very quickly, on poverty. And we'll leave out the sick and substance abuse. But I encourage you, lay these, all these things before God. But let me talk to you for just a minute about poverty. You ever felt numb about the issue of poverty? I'm convinced that in our culture, and this is the... This is the one I felt like that broke me the most as I saw my numbness to the issues of poverty in this world. Okay? That in our culture, you know, we live in the richest, what people say was the richest uh, country to ever walk the face of the earth. We live in the midst of that. Okay? That we can become very numb to this. And I'll tell you one place where I saw it one time. You know, Alan Daniel. Uh, is he here today? He may not be here today. Alan Daniel's from the Congo. He's from one of the poorest places on all the earth. And I remember him coming when he moved here. We were sitting there talking. It was just me and about two or three other guys. I don't remember who it was. And Alan was there. And we're sitting around just jabbing about something. And we begin to talk about this certain thing. I won't say what it is. But something going on in Jackson, Mississippi. Where there was a waste of money. It's just this money. Just being just sitting there being wasted. And I remember thinking. What a waste of money. And I look over and Alan is fuming. And tears coming down his face. Why? He's broken. He sees the poor. He knows, he knows what could be done with this sort of thing. And it breaks him. So I'm just telling you through that, I feel like I have been numb to those things. And I want to repent. I want to say, God, give me your heart for the poor. The same heart that you have. And so I want to ask you the same. Do you have this heart for the poor? Let me just read you a few verses. I mean, we're just going to, this is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg on what the Bible says about these things. But let me just read a few to you that are there on your study guide. Leviticus 25.35 if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. Just try to hear God's heart for the poor and ask where your heart is. Verse 7. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from, the poor, from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Verse 10, you shall surely give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and all which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and to your needy in your land. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31. Hear God's heart. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Proverbs 19, 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. 
Proverbs 21 Verse 13, whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor also cry himself and not be heard. Proverbs 22, 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed because he gives up his bread to the poor. Proverbs 28, verse 27, he who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many Curses. And you could go on and on and on, even on that list. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Do you see God's heart for the poor? See it? One billion people in this world live and die in desperate poverty. Living on less than a dollar a day. Whereas the average American lives on $90 a day. Living on less than a dollar a day. This means that they usually lack water, lack food, lack sufficient medical care. About 20,000 children will die before we go to bed tonight from starvation or preventable illnesses and diseases. What does a heart of compassion look like for the poor? And what about the poor in Mississippi? We're consistently poor state in the union, Mississippi, which at the very least means that there's children that don't have the resources they need for a healthy life and, and, and for the, the things that they need to grow. They don't have that. Okay? At the very least means that. How can we get to them? I think sometimes it gets ignored because alleviating poverty is a very complex thing. But don't let the complexities and all the stuff that you have to filter through that might be false stuff or swindlers and all this stuff. Don't let all that keep you from doing anything. Don't let it freeze you. We cannot be like the priest and the Levite that saw it and passed by on the other side. We can't be like the world that's given over to materialism and greed and love of money and can just let the poverty, the, the, the impoverished go to the wayside. We can't be like that, but we can be like the good Samaritan whose heart's full of compassion. And he makes sacrificial service to do something about it. Does the gospel speak to this issue? Listen to 2 Corinthians 8 9. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. He made himself poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. You see that the king of glory, the king of glory humbles himself to the point of a man and even dies ashamed and humiliated on a cross so that he could take poor Wicked, wretched, headed toward death souls like us and raise us up and give us kingly like eternal life. He made himself poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. And then we say, Lord, help us to live that out. So the command is love your neighbors yourself. The illustration is the Good Samaritan illustration. And I've put before you different issues. We didn't even get to many of these. But I put before you different issues. I really encourage you to do, take some time in a secret place with an open Bible and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I walk this out, Lord? Give me the heart that you have. Now, let me say a few closing consideration things, okay? Just things to consider as we close. After I talked last week and we talked about, we very, very brief, I mentioned some of these needs. Molly comes up to me. Molly Crouch comes up to me and says, um, what do I do, Ryan? I feel, I feel absolutely overwhelmed. Anybody feeling overwhelmed? With all this stuff? So much, you look out and you just feel overwhelmed. What do I do? What do I do? And I'm going to tell you what I told her because I figure other people will be dealing with that too. You feel overwhelmed? Here's what I love about what Jesus did. Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. And when He gives the illustration, guess what He does with the illustration? He doesn't give this high falutin thing, this big massive thing that you did to alleviate all the poverty in all the world. He didn't give that. He, he looks at this man. He says, hey, there was a man right there in the bad part of the neighborhood, close where you live. And um, he's suffering and dying. And let me give you an example of somebody that loved that man as his neighbor or loved him as himself. Let me give you an example. So do what you can do. Don't be overwhelmed by this, but trust in the living God that as you do what you can do, as you go and do and you search these things out, that God can use you. You don't have to be overwhelmed. Also, in closing, let me mention this. As you go back and consider these things, I really encourage you to let this, let this, this part of the verse, let this phrase land heavy on you. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. 
As you take these issues and you're on your face and you say, God, help me, Lord, to feel what you feel and see what you want me to do. Remember that phrase, love your neighbor, how? As yourself. And let me tell you how that hit me and brought me to tears for one of the first times in my life. Let me tell you how it hit me. It hit me like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, like this. Love your unborn neighbors as yourself. What if it was your little baby that was being taken to the slaughter? As yourself. Love the abused and used and trafficked people of this earth as yourself. What if it was your daughter, your wife, enslaved and beaten and drugged and taken into the commercial sex industry? How would you feel? What would you do? Love your poor neighbors as yourself. What if it was your children that were going hungry and dying from preventable diseases? What would you feel? What would you do? Love the neglected orphans as yourself. What if you had died as the parents of this child? What would you want your child to have as they're left behind in the wake of your death? Love the sick and the suffering and the addicted and the afflicted neighbors as yourself. How would you care for your own sick and addicted or afflicted children? And so that nailed me. Love them as yourself. And so in reality, what I'm calling you to is Christ-likeness. If I just had to sum it up, it'd be Christ-likeness, right? I'm calling you to be like... Jesus, because every single one of us, is we were moving toward death just like a, a baby headed towards an abortion. We were moving toward death. Every single one of us spiritually enslaved. Every single one of us spiritually impoverished like the poor of this world. Spiritual orphans separated from our Heavenly Father. Spiritually sick. Sick beyond healing is where every single one of us were. And Christ came to save us from death. Christ came to free us from slavery. He came to lift us from spiritual poverty. He came to unite us with the Father. And He came to heal us from our spiritual sicknesses. And what we want to do is live out Christ's likenesses. Christ's likeness. Let me leave you with this verse. Isaiah 61. <coughs> the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Let's pray. Father, please help us in these things. I pray that You would you would break us, God, where we need to be broken. Teach us to weep, God, where we need to weep. God, give us hearts of compassion, Lord, where we're cold and dry and numb. And Lord, I praise You that You are doing this and that You have been doing this. And we just say, give us more, Lord. Give us more of that. We want to be conformed into the image of Your Son. So conform us, please, Lord Jesus. Make us like You, Lord. And God, I pray that you would empower a weak group of people like us to have such an impact on all the suffering and the needy of this world. God, teach us how to go and love our neighbors ourselves. Teach us how to reach out to the hurting and the dying, Lord. And God, I pray you'd give us fruit in these labors, God, so that your name is exalted. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.